Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Future of Women podcast. My name is Iris Capreri, and today I am speaking with Leah Bikelli, moving to the United States at the age of two from Addis Ababa, the capital city of Ethiopia, the same city I was born in. Leah is Warner Records' youngest Black woman to take on the role of Vice President of Rhythm and Promotion and Lifestyle. So Leah, welcome. So excited to have you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And that is so dope. I didn't know you were from there. Yes. You were born there. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> we have similar experiences moving to the U.S. at a young age and working in music as Black women. I really want people to get to know you and your journey as a young executive within the music industry. My dad migrated here when he was 13 years old, when the royal family got overthrown by the communist mm -hmm. government. His parents were kind of part of that. And also my grandfather was like chief of staff. So basically they were trying to arrest my whole family. My dad and his younger brother got sent to America to the sister school that they were going to in Ethiopia. So he grew up in New York and went to college in Seattle. When he moved back home, he married my mom. They had me. Two years later, they moved here. But I always grew up hearing those stories, how he had to fend for himself mm -hmm. and his brother since he was 13 or 14 years old, and how they really created everything out of nowhere, just out of pure hard work. That definitely drove me. My parents always wanted the best for us. So even if we were living in a small apartment, we lived in Bethesda, Maryland, which has one of the best school systems. We lived in predominantly white neighborhoods, even in Chicago now. I think we are the only white people who live in Skokie, Illinois. My younger siblings grew up there. But that never really influenced me because I had 27 aunts and uncles <laughs> on my mom's side who live in the D.C. area. They would always come over. They would babysit us. My musical influence came from them. They were listening to the hottest hip-hop when FUBU was cool. Right. They were wearing T-shirts. And so I used to watch them when I was like five or six. And I'd be like, oh, my God, they're so cool. <laughs> I was literally telling my boss, actually, today on a Zoom call with another station that, like, I got caught watching BT Uncut videos <laughs> one night with my cousin. And I got in so much trouble. I was, like, eight years old. But, yeah, I definitely grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. But I always had that urban influence because my cousins were always over. And, you know how Ethiopians are close-knit. The community, especially in D.C. at that time, is very close-knit. So even though we lived in Maryland, we'd go to church in D.C., to the Ethiopian church. That influence never left. My mom always spoke to us in Amharic. We speak English very well, but she always spoke to us in Amharic. So we always knew Amharic. Even if we don't speak it as well, we understand everything. And then that was also their reason for sending us to go live in Ethiopia for a couple mm -hmm. of years while I was in high school. For us to also like get really engaged with our culture. Because that's very important, you know. Yeah. At least in my family it was. For us to like really just be engaged with our culture, our history, and to be very proud. And I mean, I don't know if you can tell by my Instagram page, but I'm very proud of where I come from. I'm proud to be Ethiopian American. I've always been American because my dad was American. He was in the mm -hmm. army for America. I'm proud to be an Ethiopian American and I love my culture and I love the American culture as well. I also think that it just makes me a well-rounded person because coming from a third world country, you <laughs> learn to appreciate a lot of the simple things. My parents were working super, super hard. My parents started their own business. My dad started his business in Ethiopia, so I ended up going to Ethiopia and doing three years of high school there. So I finished high school there. My parents ended up moving to Chicago. So I ended up moving to Chicago as well. And just like any Ethiopian Abisha parent, my parents wanted me to come work for the family business or 
go into politics or work for the State Department. And I've always grown up loving music. I used to sneak and listen to Life After Death from Biggie when I was a kid. I was like <laughs> seven years old. And I remember my cousin got it for me for my birthday. And I used to play it in my Walkman and Brandy and everything. So I always knew I wanted to do something in music. And I always knew that I was a people person. I love talking to people. I get along with people fairly well. So one day I'm leaving college, driving down Lakeshore Drive in Chicago, and I hear WGCI, which is the iHeart station out there, was hiring interns. And I was like, oh, why not? Because at that time, my parents got me a job or an internship in the publicity department at the local PBS station there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is not what I want to do. <laughs> no offense to PBS, love their programming. But that just it wasn't for me. So I interviewed with them and I ended up getting that job. And I worked in the promotions department there for like four semesters. But in between that time, I was meeting a lot of label reps that came through because working promotions, you work a lot of meet and greets. So I met a couple of different reps. They're like, do you want to do street team? And I was like, sure. I started off as an intern and college rep for Atlantic. So I was doing that with the regional in the marketplace at the time, which is an amazing lady by the name of Natina, who is now big boss over there in promotions at Def Jam. But she basically taught me the ropes. She taught me how to move an artist, how to talk to an artist to get them to do what you need them to do. And also just be a liaison between the radio station and your artist, which is sometimes a hard position to be in because, you know, you have to work with the station week in and week out. But then this is also a brand that you have to protect and a brand that you have to help build on the artist side. So I learned a lot of great lessons there. Between that time, I interned for her. She got me a street team job with her. So she gave me my partner, which is another amazing DJ named DJ Poison Ivy out of Dallas, Texas. Her and I were doing street team. So a lot of the other labels saw the good work that we were doing. So they were hiring us to like work their records in the clubs and all that stuff. So by the time I graduated college, I got a job at an indie label out of Chicago, which was pretty big indie label at the time because they were, you know, kind of responsible for breaking a lot of the new acts. And Chicago was having a huge wave at that time. This is pre-Chief Keef and Lil Durk. We were just kind of getting into that, that moment. It was King Louie, YP, the cool kids. That opened up a lot of doors for me to meet different people, not just at my radio station, but everywhere else. And so when Epic was looking for a Midwest regional, they called the radio stations And they asked, who's a young person who likes moving around, who knows a lot of people, who can get the job done in Chicago? And an amazing program director by the name of Bam at Power 92 in Chicago referred me to Epic. And Tracy Adams, the EVP there, reached out to me. She interviewed me. I interviewed with her boss, and they were like, hmm, how would you like to move to New York? Mind you, I've never done this job before at this capacity, and I'm moving to the number one market for radio. I was ready for it, but I was also very nervous. I moved to New York and started at Epic July 2014. I helped break a lot of artists, and I was part of an amazing team, and we just worked really well together, and we were able to launch a lot of different careers. I stayed there for about six years, and then Warner came. They were like, hey, would you like to come over and learn a new format and be a VP? I was like, yeah, (laughs) sure. (laughs) Why not? Got it. So when I graduated college, I also was doing street team promotions and marketing for a top 40s radio station. So I'm very familiar with that work. But if you can take us through what that department does. Street team was basically like what we used to do 
before we got to major labels. When I was in Chicago, like different companies would contract you to work their records in the clubs, put up posters, set up lifestyle events at lifestyle stores like the DTLRs of the world in Chicago. On the radio promotion side at the label, we come up with creative campaigns, promotions to market our artists, help create excitement in different markets where we believe makes sense, and also methodically build an artist through a record. Let's say a new artist can come with a great record, and we're like, oh, this sounds like this is going to be more of a East Coast type of record. So we start trying to build momentum there through mix show, through programming ads, maybe do some contesting where it makes sense to just create excitement and get people familiar with the record, not just the record, but the artist. People will know a song, but they won't know who it's from. So thank God to Shazam because they kind of came in and fixed that for whoever (laughs) uses it. And then we'll strategically go from, let's say if it's an East Coast record, then we're like, all right, the South, then the Midwest, and then work our way to the West. And once you get to a certain place on media base and all these analytics, and also once you start getting a lot of radio airplay and gaining audience, you also see an uptick in streams as well. That arms you with more ammunition to get your record played, as well as Shazam numbers. Every station is different nowadays. I think radio is in such a different space that some people look at certain things and some people look at other things. And some programmers just go with their gut for what fits their station. So it really just depends on what station and what market you're dealing with. Part of your position is presenting the stage for your artists and putting the artist in front of different radio DJs in different cities. How has COVID affected your department? Well, it's really made it difficult, especially because I started this job in the midst of a pandemic. As you know, Iris, this is a very hands-on, personal type Mm -hmm. of job. So to start in a new genre at a new company during COVID when things are shut down, it's kind of hard to get out on the road and meet people. As opposed to when I was already working at Urban, I've done it for six years. I know pretty much everyone on the panel. Right. Um, You have to form different relationships, but now it's virtual instead of having to travel to their location. Everything has literally been through Zoom. Some artists love it because they're like, great, I don't have to leave my living room. I could just do my makeup and wear sweatpants and do these interviews as opposed to going from city to city. And some artists miss it, and they also miss the radio shows, not to mention just shows, period. And also, like, we want to get them out there and engage with their fans, and they want to do the same thing. It could be kind of hard. But, you know, we've been making it work. For us at Warner, this is the first time that any department has had four records in the top 10 this week. So we're super proud of that on the rhythm side wow. and all that in the midst of COVID. Oh, congratulations. Thank Amazing. you. <laughs> Thank you so much. And we're still getting number one records. We're still carrying out with promotions. We're still breaking brand new artists. And these are people like CJ and Erica Banks. We also have amazing talent like Sweetie at Warner. But, you know, for these newer artists, it would have been great to get them face-to-face with as many people as possible. But it's still possible. Yes, absolutely. And with podcasts being so popular, what do you think is the future for radio? Like radio still the number one way people are discovering new artists. Yeah, podcasts are very popular. But I think it's also very niche-oriented, like podcasts, like I mean, I love music. I love listening to music. But my favorite podcast is My Favorite Murder. I watch all the crime stuff and (laughs) listen to that. (laughs) But if I'm looking to listen to music, I'm not going there. But the streaming world has definitely shaken it up a little bit. 
But I also feel like radio is never going to go anywhere because it's in your car. It's free. Even though you can listen to stuff on YouTube, it's easy to turn the dial. And then also, I think that's where it becomes very important to have great programming, as in like jocks and DJs and shows that are on radio. Sometimes people tune in just to hear that and then they will listen to the music as well. There's so many different avenues that you can find music. Right. Can you tell us what particular genre you work with and some of the artists that you have the privilege to be working with? Currently, I work the rhythm format. So right now, Young Blue is an artist that we're working with. Erica Banks, Sweetie, CJ, new artist by the name of 2K Baby, Shorty Shorty. Rhythm is a format where things just cross over. At some point, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have a Dua Lipa record or a BB Rexa record that's going to be multi-formatted. But in the past, I worked urban. Those were like the Bobby Schmurders of the world, the Travis Scott's Future, DJ Khaled, French Montana, Rick Ross. That was more so my lane up until September 2020. Do you see yourself ever transitioning out of this particular genre? The past 15 to 20 years, hip-hop has been the most listened to genre of music. And Black artists have really cultivated such a culture that we follow on a regular basis. And there's so many artists outside of the hip-hop genre that are wanting to put themselves in that genre. Mm -hmm. Do you ever want to explore other genres and bring creative ways to break artists, let's say in pop or even in country? I love country music. I'm a big Taylor fan. Marion Morris and stuff like that. I'm very open to working different formats, but my passion and my heart is in hip hop. That's where I kind of grew up listening to. And I think that's why it's so perfect working a rhythm because I get it to touch a little bit of everything as well as the hip hop and the pop and the crossover type of records. There's always an opportunity to do that. Has there been a project that you've worked on that you've been really passionate about and that you felt was really successful? DS2 was probably my favorite album and rollout that I've worked on at Epic with Future. It was just so creative. We did a pop-up with concepts. The music was amazing. It just felt great. But also one of the most rewarding ones would be the Bobby Shmurda, his first EP that he dropped, because that was my first number one, and I had just gotten there. So that's the first artist that I can say that I legitimately contributed to breaking on the radio. He's coming back, so... <laughs> Yes, he's back home. Hopefully you guys can work <laughs> together again. And at Warner, YF and Lucci's project was dope. I love that. We haven't done too many releases since I have arrived. But there's a lot of artists that I'm so excited about and a lot of new talent that's coming out of Warner. And I haven't been this excited in a while. Well, that's exciting to hear. <laughs> I can't take credit for like signing them and bringing them to the company because that's what A&R does. And then they have their marketing people. So you work very closely with their product managers. And doing lifestyle, that's why I get to dibble and dabble in some things like doing pop-up shops and getting records going in the clubs. They'll deliver the music. We'll start breaking the records, whether it be in clubs or in the streets or on the radio. It usually starts in the clubs, on the streets, then it goes to mix show, and then it goes to radio programming. Radio usually adds music on Mondays and Tuesdays. Those are the days that MediaBase, which is the system that we use, track music, accepts ads, and then rotations usually get done either Tuesday or throughout the week. Monday and Tuesday is when you have to pitch your record to a radio station, let them know what it's doing in their marketplace, let them know what it's doing nationally, what the artist is doing. There's 10 or 15 of me on the major side or independently that all have the same goal. 
but there's only but so many stations. So those are the days that you put your best foot forward. All gas, no brakes, as my boss would say. (laughs) (laughs) And so let's say one of your artists is from Manhattan. Once they have a new single, your primary goal is to break that single in the city that they're heavily involved with home market airplay definitely helps and usually that comes very organically whether it be through make show or programming it just depends on the sound of the record because there could be artists that's from new york but it could sound like a down south record or an artist who's from new york but's been living and recording in atlanta for the past two years so their sound is influenced by that but they're born and raised in brooklyn or harlem how would you pitch that to a radio station that's located in atlanta but the artist is an east coast artist it really just depends on the stats and the facts and what the record is going it's like you can't pitch every record the same way i try and find something special about every artist and see how we can relate that to that market and to that particular station And then also use the numbers that they have, whether it's streaming, whether it's Shazamming, whether it's other major market airplay that's going on around it, and use that to pitch. But it really just varies on the artist and the song. You really worked your way from becoming an intern to being a manager and now an executive. Being that you're a family of immigrants, do you feel pressure to succeed? And if so, how do you handle that pressure? Well, I felt a pressure to succeed because my parents at first did not understand what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I have to make this work. I've seen my parents work super hard for everything that they have and create super successful businesses on their own. And so just watching that and also watching how much they sacrificed to give us the life that for me, my siblings That's also like, okay, you guys worked your butt off and put me through college. I have to make something of myself. I was not going down a traditional path. And so I was like, I have to prove to you that what I'm doing is not just partying. I'm working. (laughs) The music industry and entertainment industry for some households can be foreign. And sometimes they're curious as to why you want to get into that particular field. So you do have to work harder to make them understand or realize that this is a passion and a dream. Iris, did you have a similar experience? My family is very creative and very understanding of me wanting to be in the music industry because they saw just at a young age that I loved singing and dancing and performing. And I realized that that's not my talent. (laughs) But my mom told me like, there's other areas of the industry that you can be involved with, which kind of opened my eyes. My story's a little bit different, just because I was actually adopted from Ethiopia. My dad is Italian, and my mom is Irish and French Canadian. I grew up in a Mm -hmm. predominantly white neighborhood. My high school was like 98% white. So it was my college. Any other position I have held within the industry has been predominantly white. And so I had to kind of learn about being an Ethiopian woman, being an immigrant, learning how to adjust and transition into this world that I'm not familiar with. I had to learn English and I just had to really adjust. There was no turning back. It was, I'm here. 
and now life begins. How old were you when you came? No, oh, sorry, that's okay. if you don't mind. I was sense. six. I feel like I'm getting to know you at the same time. <laughs> I was six. So I okay. still very much remember my life in Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. But again, it was completely different moving to the States, the States and yeah. not knowing English was extremely tough. But I think the reason why I'm such a go-getter and like I'm just so motivated and to just bring awareness to certain causes that I really care about is because of my upbringing. Had I not been adopted, had I not grown grew up in the town that I did, I wouldn't be so hyper aware of certain conversations even. The reason why I'm passionate about the music industry is I'm able to bring in what I feel is needed, which is diversity, which is Black women and making sure the music industry is aware of how much Black artists have contributed to the music industry. Mm -hmm. Everything. I really want people to know that as I'm learning about Black artists, they have to know as well. Like you have to know the background of certain genres of music and you have to know that there was an artist before, like the reason why you love this. Even country music, if you think about it, originated from Black music. Yes. I'm still trying to understand why I love the music industry, if that makes sense. Sometimes I'm, I'm remembering listening to Ethiopian music and we have a certain dance that we do and just (laughs) and like how much it brought us together even being in church and that music it's just it brings me to such it just brings me so much joy and that feeling that I had is the feeling that I want to bring to people that are in the industry and like outside wanting to get into the industry that makes all the sense in the world Leah your family is Ethiopian so you can lean on them if you have any kind of questions whereas for me I had to go search and basically on Google (laughs) whenever I had questions about my own culture because I didn't grow up in it I had to kind of teach myself how to be this Ethiopian woman in the states and similar to music it was kind of like okay, I love this artist. And then I would read about their influence. And then I would read about that artist. And it would just kind of take me through history. So that's kind of like why I also fell in love with the industry. And then I did my own research. And I just followed my dreams. And I went to school for music industry, music business specifically. Started out in radio as street team, like I said before, and you did as well. And that's just a great way to get your foot in the door because you do get that face-to-face connection with artists. Sometimes when you're working concerts or smaller events, you're meeting with label reps, you're with the artists, their managers, and you're just seeing how the music industry works. When I was younger, I was just kind of like, how does this work? How does this artist become so famous? And who's the team behind it? And now I'm just seeing that firsthand. It's just fascinating to me. So I've always had support, which is amazing. That's super amazing that you've had that. And also, <laughs> if you have any questions about Abisha stuff or anything, please feel free yes, to ask Iris. Google doesn't always tell right. the truth, so I got you. <laughs> Once I got a job at Epic, my parents didn't even call it Epic. They were like Sony. (laughs) They were just like, oh, great. Perfect. You can support yourself now. We don't have to give you money. And I was 24 at the time. And my goal was, I was like, okay, if I don't get a regional 
job, at least by the age of 25 in the Midwest, then I'm going to like cave in, I'm going to go work for my dad or go find a PR job because my major was in integrated marketing PR, but I minored in music business. And literally on my 24th birthday, I got this job. Oh, wow. But I also want to highlight that everybody who's given me a major opportunity that's gotten me to where I am now has been a woman, whether it's BAM at Power 92 who referred me to the job, whether it's Natina, who gave me my first check as a street team person, whether it's Tracy Adams, who hired me as her first regional in the number one market. So I definitely think the future of women is very bright. I love hearing that. I wanted to go back to what you said before, where you were just putting pressure on yourself to get a specific role. And if you didn't get that role, then you would go back to contemplating about working with your family. I think that pressure sometimes can come from being a Black woman and having to work 10 times harder to receive any kind of recognition. Once we feel some kind of success, that usually represents something bigger than our own personal victory which can serve as a self-motivator. And when we're presented with a major opportunity, you had that amazing promotion. We just feel like we can't afford to fail. So do you feel deserving of your current position? And what advice can you give women who may not feel like they are deserving of their position and are adding pressure onto themselves to succeed? I absolutely do feel deserving of my position because I know what I've gone Mm -hmm. through and how hard I've worked and how long I've worked even for free. I would skip shifts at my job. I used to work at a local high school to go work events and I wasn't getting paid for anything. And so I've definitely really worked my butt off and I do feel like I deserve it. I do put a lot of pressure on myself. That's just the type of person I am. But it's like once I achieve a goal, it's like my eyes are already set on the next goal. So Mm -hmm. like... I guess that's one thing us women should definitely do. And my advice to other women coming up, and I always tell this to my young mentees, is bask in the moment for a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Take it in. Like, take in your accomplishment. And I could probably take a little bit more of my own advice at times. (laughs) But, but like, definitely, like, bask in the moment and be proud of yourself. And use that to help you keep going. Yes. And you've you've had people that have helped you along the way. Are there other executives that you look up to at the moment? I definitely still look up to Sylvia Rohn, my first chairwoman. Well, she was president, but mm-hmm. yeah, my first chairwoman. Tracy Adams, amazing EVP of promotions over at Epic Records. You know, she gave me my first job. Tina as well. She's SVP over at Def Jam. Sam, her name is Sam. She works at RCA. She's another woman that I look up to a lot. And Ethiopia. Ethiopia would definitely have to be another example of a young woman who's really getting it over at Motown. Yes, she's amazing. I've been following her career for a while as well. Yes, so have I since I was like a little girl, her and Sylvia's. Those are women that I definitely look up to and I feel like are amazing examples. But not just them, I also like some of the younger women coming up under me as well that I've helped mentor, like this young lady by the name of Dominique. She works at Pandora now. And, you know, when I met her, she was an intern at a radio station in D.C. And she grew into like a part-time position. And over time, she's gone over there. But I feel that I learned a lot from her as well as much as she learns from me. What kind of advice do you give her? The main thing that I always say is stay true to yourself mm-hmm. regardless of what may come your way. The moment that you start acting different or you lose who you are and your character it's like it's gonna be a tragedy you know (laughs) 
the moment that you allow others and just different things to influence you and change who you are is essentially the moment you lose yourself and you can't afford to do that. I think you have to always stay 10 toes down, especially in this music industry and stay firm. And I think that what's gotten you there is going to get you to the next step. Another advice that I tell her is always to pay it forward. Like Mm -hmm. whatever advice I've given to you and I've taken you under my arm, you are now up next. So you need to take the next young lady that was in your shoes Mm -hmm. under your arm. And that's the only way that we're all going to get ahead. Because if nobody did that for me, I wouldn't be where I am. Right. And is this the same advice you would give your 25-year-old younger self? Yes. That's (laughs) the exact same advice I would give my 25-year-old self. But I also would tell my 25-year-old, I would tell my 25-year-old self to relax. (laughs) Don't stress out so much. Because that was my first year (laughs) at um, Epic. And I just felt like I had so much to prove. I was like the youngest person on the staff and new. And I just felt like I had to just do everything so excellently. And I would have told my 25-year-old self to relax. That's around the same time I started mentoring different girls. So... I would essentially give the same advice, but I'd also say chill. Like, have a little fun with it, you know? Don't take life too seriously. (laughs) Yes. Because COVID definitely showed us that. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So what are some of the biggest challenges you faced then? And what are some of your biggest challenges that you're currently facing? What I faced early on, just in the beginning of my career, even working street team is like, being a young black woman and I look a little younger than I actually even am. So imagine (laughs) like you're like 22 and you look like you're 16. People don't take you as seriously. Mm -hmm. It's just backhanded comments and stuff like that. Challenges now, honestly, it's just trying to grow into this VP role. And the hardest thing for me is I don't like hurting people's feelings or being mean. I can have a tough conversation, but I'm not used to being that dominant when I was managing my street team over at Epic, I couldn't fire people. It was the hardest thing for me. Like, I would take you to lunch and have a whole lunch <laughs> with you, pay the whole bill and everything, and just be like, listen, okay, this is really hard, but I can't. Not to say that that's I have to do that here, but, you know, it also comes with managing a staff, being a VP and helping manage a staff as well. And, you know, you got to find a fine line between friend and boss. Yes. So where do you see yourself in the next like five to 10 years? Well, hopefully in the next five to 10 years, I'll be running a promotions department or even, you know, be working and doing different roles at another label. You never know. Um, But I definitely look forward to growing with this company that I got to now. I'm still settling, settling into my role, but the next five to 10 years, I would definitely also see myself like on the personal note, having a family. And I think that's a lot of things that us women in the music industry is we tend to be so work oriented we forget to have a life and that's something that's always been important to me as a kid is to have children and hopefully be married one day with God's grace but you know to also accomplish some of those personal goals that I've set for myself and do it at the same time as being a boss I think to what you said before people love the idea of working in the music industry but Sometimes what they don't understand when they're not a part of it is how cutthroat it can be and how competitive it can be. And you're kind of always on your toes because you want to stay in your position, but there's someone else that could take your position, might be doing it better than you. So you're constantly, you feel you have to constantly 
work, you have to constantly be aware of the new marketing trends or what artists are succeeding. And we forget that we have a personal life to maintain as well. <laughs> For your own personal sanity, mm-hmm. too. We love our jobs, but it's only going to love us back. <laughs> but, but for so long, you know what I'm saying? And we're as good as we are at it. So it's like for like if and, and that's if that is something that you want to do as you know what I mean as a woman not everybody wants to get married or have children but if that's something that you want to do I feel like some of the best advice that I've gotten is from some of the women who have mentored me is to also consider your personal life as well and time definitely flies by and before you know it you're just like whoa where did the time go but you've succeeded and you have accomplished all of your professional goals but you have yet to work on your personal goals which are equally important that's something i have to constantly remind myself <laughs> tackle your personal girl, goals me along too. the way <laughs> girl me too especially when you turn 30 like i just turned 30 this year and or i guess end of 2020 and i'm like fuck <laughs> i never thought that i'd be 30 years old and like single you know but there's also there comes that part of it as well it, it takes a special type of man or or woman or a partner period that's going to be okay with that lifestyle you having to be on the road for a certain amount of time or not being able to make dinner every night and come home you might be home by like nine ten o'clock you might have to leave the office and go to a show so it takes a special type of person as well in my opinion absolutely to... it's, a, it's a tough industry you're in a tough position the more responsibilities mm-hmm. you take on in your career it could have a toll on your personal life, but that doesn't mean... You just have to find yes. the right partner, someone who's also yep. supportive <laughs> of your career and understands and also got their own shit to do. Because <laughs> if that's the main thing, if they don't have nothing else to do, then you're... <laughs> and all they have to do is worry about you, then that's not conducive either. <laughs> that's just my advice. I don't know. I understand. <laughs> Women in Music, which is a nonprofit organization I'm a part of. We put panels together wanting to bring awareness to issues that we see within the music industry. And I always tell people the music industry is not going to fix a problem that we don't see exists. Are there some problems that you see within the industry? And what are some of the changes you would like to make? I like to help uplift more women of color in different roles as well. I definitely take my hat off to you. For working in top 40 might be the only african-american person i know who works in top 40 promote you work in promotion uh, I, well, I, I used guess. to that was my position right after college yeah but okay. i'm no longer there okay. but it was interesting okay. <laughs> even on the rhythm format there's only a couple of us like my boss who's a black man another guy who's another black man me and then one other girl so there's four of us out of all the major labels who are, and then the, the girl's not even in a uh, major executive position, you know? Hip-hop music is pop music. It's popular mm-hmm. culture, if you want to think about it. That's what's influencing the culture, you know what I'm saying? I'd like to see a little more diversity, and I'd love to do whatever I can to help make that happen. Yes, my, my boss recently said Black culture is pop culture. And I was like, wow, yes, you mm-hmm. are so right. Like, it, re- it really is. <laughs> think about it it's popular culture that's what it stands for and that is the popular culture like is everything that rap music and hip-hop music basically talks about even the kids in the suburbs <laughs> so yes I would like to see a little more diversity in that end before we wrap up we recently for women in music we did a panel highlighting black women in different areas of 
of the music industry. And we asked the panelists, what is your black girl magic? So I'm asking you the same question. My black girl magic is that I don't tend to bite my tongue. I'm a straight shooter. I'm definitely a sweetheart, but sometimes I say things very bluntly. And that's the only way that certain people understand things. So I wouldn't take that for myself. <laughs> and I'm the same. If you ask anyone who knew me in high school would say that I'm literally the exact same person just 15 years later and probably wiser, obviously a little more <laughs> successful. <laughs> but I've always stayed true to myself. And, and also, just like the girls that I've mentored, I feel like I have made somewhat of a contribution to the future. I hope that that continues to grow. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I know you're super busy. <laughs> so I really, really appreciate yeah. it. And thank you for being honest. And I appreciate you being vulnerable. I'm so grateful to have your insight. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you guys. <laughs>